Shapeshifters. Shapeshifters on The Money Show. Tonight's Shapeshifter is Jack van der Merwe. He is the guy in charge of Gauteng, but he's been involved in South Africa and mostly, I suppose, Gauteng's transport strategy for probably four decades. Started out his career at the CSIR, Jack van der Merwe, if I remember correctly. No, I, I started at the Transvaal Roads Department, but I was seconded to the CSR. To the do Transvaal it. Roads Department. You are dating yourself. You know <laughs> What year was, were you at the Transvaal Roads Department? Uh, as, I started as, on the 26th of June, 1971. So 26th of June, 1971, you start your career uh, at, at the Transvaal Roads Department as a civil engineer. So basically yes. you were the guy with, the, with all the equipment making sure the road levels were right and that the bridges were right and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, we were actually opening up the province at that stage. We were building 400 plus kilometers of tarred roads per, per year. 400 kilometers of tarred roads per year doesn't sound like an awful lot. Ooh, I mean, it, it's, uh, we, we, we had 22 construction units. We had the biggest caterpillar fleet in the world. Um, so, no, it was, it was really production. But the, this was the days when roads departments were owned by the province and the, the, the province owned the assets and the province owned the equipment and the province owned the people who worked for them. It was the days before outsourcing. Yes, yes. Um, it, it continued like until we got the first oil cr- crisis crunch and then the, the, the money dropped for, for uh, uh, investing in infrastructure. A lot of people left and that's where the consultants and the outside contractors really started. What year was that roughly? Um, 74, 75. Okay, so up until about 1974, 75, everything was provincial, provincial administrations. Did it work better in those days in terms of infrastructure development, do you think? Uh, it wasn't so complicated, you know, and, and uh, we were doing easy roads. We weren't doing freeways around the cities. So the construction was really just production. Explain. Um, you know, you were just rolling out. We, we had 47 bridge building teams that used to build the bridges and we'd come from the behind and then just do the earthworks and the tarring and, and go for it. So yeah. it, it was quite good, good fun. You, you say it with a smile on your face. I mean, you, you're quite nostalgic about those days. Yeah, I thought they, those were difficult days until I started with, with doing the Gauteng. Now I, I see that as the most, the easiest time that I had yeah. is is doing just purely engineering. Now it's a it's a mixture of of all the sciences. Uh, all the soft sciences together, so uh, it's become quite complicated. Uh, we'll, we'll get on to that in just a bit. I mean, you were instrumental in the development, for example, I suppose, of things like the Galulis Interchange and, and those sorts of the big interchanges that we see around Gauteng, um, the, the big ring road around Gauteng as well. Probably that's that's that era, isn't it? Yes. It's when we bought uh, – we had just finished constructing Bench Command, but we did the Uncle Charlie's Interchange, which at that stage was the biggest interchange in the country. Uh, it cost thirty, I think, thirty-seven million. <laughs> <laughs> you can't build two kilometres of road for that now. Yeah, I think that's a telephone account now for the site, but uh, probably. Yeah. Uh, so you built the interchar- uh, uh, Uncle Charlie's interchange, then also the Ben Skuman Highway, of course, which is the centre of the controversy around sand rail at present and the expansion of it. So the, the Ben Skuman goes back to what year? What year was that built? Um, in between nineteen sixty and nineteen seventy, it was two contracts, and they finished it. End of nineteen the nineteen sixties. When when you look at projects like that, I mean, you had to have a view of what would be required in an economy in nineteen seventy, two, three, maybe even four decades hence. I mean, that's an extraordinary leap of faith to take, isn't it? Yeah, <clears throat> I think traditionally there's always an argument: what comes first, land use planning or transportation? Uh, and in theory, I think one day in heaven they do land use planning first and then transportation. <laughs> but here on earth, um, the government doesn't own such a lot of land, so they can't really drive the agenda 
with land use. They drive it with transport. They put in the infrastructure. And we've seen that in, in Gauteng, the developments have actually come next to the, the corridor. So we have really transit-oriented developments along Benscombe and along the R24, along uh, the airport freeway and that. Uh, absolutely. But when, when you were building these routes, I mean, it, it was a case of saying, how big does an intersection need to be 10, 20 years from now? I mean, that's the sort of long-term planning you have to put in when you, when you start building this stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I think mistakes that we made, uh, we, we put in really narrow diamond interchanges uh, to try and… What's a diamond interchange? Um, that's a, a normal where you come on a freeway and you just go off-ramp. And if you want to cross, you've got a bridge coming over it. Okay. So like we had at, at, at Allendale. And we tried to, to restrict the amount of land that we took for these interchanges. Now they, they do small because the interchange, the distance between the two ramps actually determines the, the capacity. But we never had enough cars coming off to actually fill up that, that distance. And that's the thing. When we judge, I suppose, um, the planners of the past in, in, in modern standards, I mean, this is 40 years ago that you were building these roads. Um, did, was the view then that you had to have 20-year capacity or were you thinking beyond that? No, we, we thought we had 20-year capacity, but I think our projections of traffic are, uh, to, you know, to have understood the, the explosion of the Gauteng economy as such. Um, it's grown by much, much higher numbers than what we thought. And I think we were caught a bit unawares by that. Um, please tell me the story about the Santon Council and why Santon is such a mess. <laughs> uh, because I, I just look at it and I, I look at the huge influx of people coming into the Santon CBD that's the economic uh, capital of the African continent, the, some of the most powerful head offices in the world, in the world of Africa anyway, on the African continent, are located in the square mile or two that is Santon. And it, on a daily basis, is a shambles from a traffic perspective. Yeah. Uh, well, in, in 1975, uh, we produced a, a 50-year transport plan called the PWV Transportation Study. And that consisted of a, of a grid of freeways, like the PW9 and, and, and the PW routes we see, and then um, primary um, connections to them called K routes. Uh, we were taken to court by the then Santon City Council, and they forced us to take out all the roads because they said Santon is a rural area. They don't want streetlights. They don't want, they want as much um, gravel roads as possible. And they wanted to have this rural feeling. So we were forced to cancel all the routes. And now Santon has grown much faster. So I'd like to take these guys out of retirement and go to them and say that was a very a very stupid mistake to make. It. But, and that's got to inform then the way you think about as the person who's got overall control of Haltrain. Um, about how people are going to judge your legacy two, three, four decades from now. Yeah, I, I think the world is has become a global village, so things happen much faster. I think to do a 50-year plan is going to be, I think it's going to be a brave person that's going to try that. So what we now do is we do 25 years plans, we do scenario planning, like Clem Santa has taught us. Absolutely. And, uh, and so you, you actually try and look at what are the levers, what are the... Uh, as he calls them, the flags, the red and the yellow, uh, green flags, um, to watch. And if something goes, that you can adjust your plans. But I think the the big thing is that you have to make a call on your network and you have to procure that land. So you have to secure the land 
um, so that in future, if you need it, you can use it. Oh, we, we see the dispute right now near Strand. I mean, yes. Sand Rail removing uh, illegal residents from that particular piece of land simply because they have a plan for that piece of land that uh, requires that people don't live in it. Um, and, and those are the complexities that you have to deal with in a South African context. Yeah, I think what, what one would do, you'd have to be a little bit innovative. If we, if we buy an 80-meter reserve for, for a freeway, we have to start developing that in a low-cost type of environment, put in, in, in uh, nurseries, even factories that are or warehousing that you could break down when you need it so that it's not a vacant land because in our country, a vacant land is just a It's an invitation. Card. It's Absolutely. an invitation to, for, to get in squatters and stuff like that. Um, uh, says Ron on my SMS line this evening, I read on the internet, so it must be true, um, that there was a train in the 1980s called the Metro Blitz that ran between Joburg and Pretoria in the same time as Gautrain does now, and that was on ordinary tracks. Uh, do, do, do you remember the Metro Blitz? Yes, it actually ran much faster. It, I think it holds the, the world speed record for narrow gauge. I think it did 221 kilometers. What? But uh, that's not really the issue. The issue is not to run at once. We run 6,500 trains per month. Yeah. And uh, the more na- the narrower the, the gauge, the more sensitive it is towards maintenance and any any difference in the track height. So uh, it is so you can run it like that, but you can't run. And and what happened with the Metro Blitz? If I can just tell mm. you what happened there is that they they introduced it. And it was one train. But to get this train through, they had to take off all the other trains <laughs> to get it past. So this one train was delaying the rest of the system. And it was fine. But, but at yeah. that stage, the people that worked for railways, they got a, a black pass. And that black pass gave you free free trips on the train. So they discovered that about 80% of the people on that fast train were people riding with a black pass that weren't paying. So they were actually delaying the whole system. Delaying the economy and then just getting people that work for them on. So it said was canned, but it's it's technically possible you can run a train yeah. on those tracks. Absolutely right, Ron. Thank you so much for that memory this evening. Jack van der Marbe is our shape shifter. He is the guy in charge of how train. When did the project actually begin? What was the day you got a call from somebody who said to you, Jack, we're thinking about a high speed train network for for Gauteng. We want you to run it. No, oh, um, in in June of ninety seven, I accompanied the then Premier Tokyo Sikwale to Germany. We went to see uh, the guys in Bavaria. We have a twinning agreement with them and he then announced we had to buy a train. Bavaria is the is the mother city of Siemens so everybody thought we were there to buy Siemens trains. But as a result of that they appointed, we jointly appointed a consulting firm in Germany, Dorsch Consult, and they did a pre-feasibility which they said it was feasible to do it and then in 99 when Premier Shalawa became the Premier, we, we had extra money that we got from the census and we decided the cabinet decided to to do the 10 blue iq projects which are long-term sustainable economic growth and prosperity of the province and the third train was one so we got blue iq to thank for this why is it then called the why why did it was earlier called the shiloh express and not the sehwale express shiloh is easier to pronounce for foreigners (laughs) (laughs) no but but it was actually the Remember, in between, Matoli Matsecha was also premier. So, this is uh, true. So you could have called it the Matoli Matsecha Express. But <laughs> the, I think the Matoli Metro Rail or something. Yeah, yeah. the Matoli Metro Rail. Um, but, but, so you start in 1997, and it takes 13 years and a bit of a rough job, a rush job at the, right at the end in yeah. time for the World Cup to get it up and running. It's an enormous amount of planning and foresight and feasibility and all of those sorts of things. Yeah, I, I think one thing, and if one looks forward to the National Development Plan, 
you really need people who are willing to stay for the, for the long haul uh, because there's a lot of institutional knowledge that you build up. Sure. And you have to keep that. There, is, there has to be a way to do it. We, we have quite a complicated document control system uh, called ProjectWise. We have at the moment three, 3 million documents on it. We have 70,000 engineering plans on it. And it's growing by the day. 3 million documents, yeah. 70,000 engineering plans. Yeah. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this one as well. Sure, you've got disputes with some of your contractors. I mean, Marion Roberts uh, 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 recently settled a dispute in Australia with, with one of its things. Marion Roberts was involved in building Khao Train. Um, there are disputes and there always will be disputes on big construction projects. But I'm thinking and I'm trying to recall stories of corruption, nepotism and other nefarious activity associated with Khao Train. To the no, best of my yeah. knowledge, if there's been something, it's not been very big and it hasn't stuck around very long. No, there, there, there's never been a scandal. Um, our, the report from the Auditor General every year is two pages, one page saying this is what they've done, second page saying there's nothing, there's nothing to be, be had. But I, I think maybe, you know, when we started the co-train, the arms deal was in the news and I was given a clear instruction by our, our ex-executive committee that uh, this thing's going to be run clean. Uh, we, we we did quite a lot of innovation stuff. We 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 signed an anti-bribery pact. We had a, a audit done, a probity audit around the process of adjudication of the tenders and that. So all of that was run separately. What strikes me is that you've shown that it's possible. Yeah, no, I think if you apply yourself, it's it's possible for sure. Uh, and that's the point. And we we have so many issues of corruption around tenders and contracts and things in South Africa. The point is, you've shown the Khao project should actually be used uh, as a role model, perhaps through for other state projects. Yeah, no, I think I think we got it right. Um, but and, and National Treasury, they've asked us to come and present what all the lessons learned and that. So I think we are trying to to roll this thing out to duplicate it. Mm, okay, so here, here, we, here we've got a situation where we've got this transport network. It's in its infancy, really. We've got Pretoria connected to Johannesburg. We've got uh, to Santon. Santon connected uh, to the city um, of Johannesburg through uh, through to Park Station. We've also got a, a situation where um, Santon is connected to the airport. And these are three legs to an extraordinary uh, transport network as, as things stand at the moment. Um, but you've now got your next 20 and 30 year plans uh, rolled out as well, people in Midval want you to take a hard train out there. Is, is yeah. there any chance of it? No, what, what we did do, we, we've done a 25-year integrated master plan for, for Gauteng. And in that plan on the train side, we're going to build um, a link from Mamalodi in the east of, of Pretoria, going down 45 degrees past Midrand to the, to the um, west of Johannesburg to Naledi and Soweto. So that's 140 kilometers. We'll then extend from, from um, Randburg down into Santon, extend it from the airport down to Boxburg. So in total, it's about 200 kilometers, and we are currently doing the planning for that. Uh, and are the stations that exist now, the, 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 one looks at the platforms, one looks at the entry and exit points, one looks at the escalators and the lift capacity, for example, at the Santon station. Um, it feels fairly limited for what could be a very substantial network in the future. Yes, uh, but in, in, in Sandon, for instance, uh, the Council of Johannesburg has given out a tender. They're going to now build, develop on top of on top of Sandton Station. And these developments will have their own 
exits from the station, so there will be extra banks of escalators going up. So as the as the stations develop, there will be more entry and exit points. I mean, this must have been the, the project of a lifetime. Um, oh, yeah. do, do you? I mean, as, as somebody who who joined the civil service, I mean, is it was it ever part of a career plan for you? Do you think you just got lucky uh, along the way? In some in some well, respects, I, I think if you work hard, you do get lucky. But but uh, <laughs> um, I, I have a I have one of the most senior engineers in in South Africa working for me, John Morgan. And uh, he says it's the most fun he's had with his clothes on for the last 20 years. That's as much of the story as I want to hear. Jack van der Matter, thank you so much. The man behind Gauteng. Tonight's shapeshifter, the man who is shaping the future of Gauteng through transport.